All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Listening to Nasty Knuckles, the Hockey Outlaws Podcast, with your hosts, Terry Nasty Sotomayor and former Philadelphia Flyer Enforcer, Riley Cote, as they go behind the scenes with your favorite NHL players. This week's guest is two time Stanley Cup champion and legendary broadcaster, Bill Clement. Time to face off. All right, welcome back to another episode of Nasty Knuckles. What's happening, Nasty? What's up, Rigorelia? You finally made it to one of our men's league games. About time we're. We had you on the IR for a little bit, but you <laughs> finally got back. Big W the other night. It was a good game. Really good game against Team Black. Yep. And, and you were buzzing. You were buzzing. Good, man. I was in the long-term IR there. It's been a while yeah. since I have them on. So had a lot of, uh, a lot of energy to, to get. I, I, I was worried because the first time you played, you hadn't played in so long a few oh, weeks yeah. ago. And I remember after your, one of your shifts, you came off. You're like, holy shit, I'm dying, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a while. But when, but when you it's like one thing to skate around, but then when you actually like going hard doing this, you know, as hard as we play, like cause oh, we're yeah. playing fucking hard. <laughs> oh yeah. It's big time. No, but it was a good game. Those it guys, was. they, they got a, they got a good team and it was fun. And, uh, our buddy, uh, Brian Santora, big sloth there. He was, he was, he was really good nets and, and Diener was a little better with the win there. So it was a good game anyway. It was Boys, a lot of fun, a lot of fun having you out there. 
they can't let us get together because it'll be it'll be like Kane and fucking Taves playing together or something. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, they got to keep us separated. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally Let's kidding. On one line. Uh, totally kidding, man. I'm just trying. I'm trying to stand up out there. Oh, oh, man. Uh, but we did have a uh, a a great tournament. Elvis's team. They're from Hollydale, and they went as the Nasty Knuckle Selects. Love we it. Spo- we sponsored them and had a great, uh, great finish. Came in second. Played a team, um, good team from Hollydale. They uh, no excuses. I think they had a couple old, you know, a couple players that might not be really in this division, but they were really good players. But our kids played hard, man, and uh, made Nasty Knuckles very proud. Oh yeah. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And they look good doing it. Good job on the jersey design. Yeah, man. Design. They look yeah, they turned out great, man. We had a had a lot of people uh, asking about those. So just like our other ones we've been uh selling. So Yeah. That's good. It's good, man. It was a good weekend, but uh big day today, buddy, in the yeah. NHL. Yeah, what do you got? What do you what do you think is gonna happen today? There's a lot of oh, big names, uh, a lot of uh big ticket guys. No, some, uh, number crunching for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that, you know, that's the thing we were talking about is is the number situation, a cap. I'm not really a cap guy. You're not? <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually good with numbers, to be honest. One of the only things in my life I think I'm good at is uh, with math and numbers. But I don't even know what the cap set at right now, which is embarrassing. I should know. Um, I'm actually going to do that today in between some clients here. Uh, go through it and see what I got, see what kind of team I can put together. But you're right, man. I mean, there's some, there's some huge names. Um, part of it to me makes me wonder why they're allowing, like a team wants to get rid of it. I know the money on some guys, but it's also teams are paying guys that much money. If you got a guy making 30 goals these days, they're making 7 million. I mean, well, yeah, yeah you know I, what I mean? hundred percent. I think a lot of times guys, are unprotected because they're underachieving for the amount of money they're making. Right. True. If true. You can unload that money and then, you know, maybe get two guys at a fraction of the price. It's kind of like, I, I think the philosophy of some of these general managers, but it's not that easy to unload salaries no. like that. You even know that they're no. big ticket guys with big names, but a lot of times these guys are making the big money after their, their bigger years. Right. So it's hard right. to, to justify some of these salaries. So there is, there's obviously an element of risk there too. Right. I mean, to you, do you drop, you know, do you, do, you, do you grab a guy that's making 10 million that's probably not no longer in his prime and is on, you know, right. and then you're complaining about this guy in the in the general manager's room of like, oh, this guy's underachieving. We're paying this guy 10 million dollars. So, yeah, you know, you, you got to look at a lot of different things, you, uh, you know, it's just uh, how these guys are able to, you know, go without injuries. Right. I mean, just like right. how many injuries have they had in the last how many years and. And how many games missed have they had? You know what I mean? Because again, if you you sign an older guy, big ticket, and, and he's on the shelf half the time, what good is that, too? So there's obviously a science to this. Uh, Vegas yeah. did a pretty damn good job the, wow. the, a couple of years ago. So you know, I, I'd expect Seattle to come out out of the gates, um, you know, a, a firing. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you can't go wrong with any of those guys. I mean, think about it. Yeah, like an all star team there to pick from. They do. And, and, you know, I was uh, watching uh, PJ Stock, our buddy, uh, last night talking a little bit about it. And he, w- he was just making a point of well, he, he was kind of on a rant a little bit about Carey Price being unprotected and, and, and actually maybe wanting to go to Seattle because of his junior days. And I think his family around there. I'm not really sure. I'm not 
totally sure on Carey Price where he's from and his his whole background, but I, I believe he played. If I'm not mistaken, he played Tri Cities. I could be wrong, but I, I did. Uh, Stalker said something about him playing in Seattle, but anyway, uh, he was like, if they take him. He makes a lot of money though for a goalie. I feel like ten million for a goalie. Yeah, is, and he's on the, it's the tail a lot. end, and know? that's what Starker was saying. But what if he does go in there and have a year, and you put these pieces around him? He was saying, no offense to Montreal, but they might have a better team than Montreal had. One hundred percent, I, I and, agree. And you know, with Shea Weber maybe having to retire now, all of a sudden, um, you know, who, who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they probably would have on paper a better looking lineup right i mean they might have a better looking lineup than a few teams yeah um you know with, with these players but again it's it's a fitting pieces into the puzzle with the with the cap and um you know trying to figure it out and and you know ron francis is a smart man and a, and a hockey man i'm sure he's done his homework oh, obviously yeah. he's, i mean he's, doing he's had a lot of balancing yeah He's had a lot of time to, 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 to do this. And, you know, Dave Haxtell, um, the smart hockey guy, and he's he's been on the bench the last few years in the NHL seeing these players. Oh, yeah. Um, and probably has a little bit of it, you know, insight on that as well, as well as the scouts. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's going to be, I'm really fired up actually to see what happens tonight, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So, It'll be interesting for sure. And you know, our, you look back at Vegas a couple years ago, you got you get Flurry, and you know, there's a lot of people saying, "Well, Flurry's kind of he's not done. that he's done, but like he's not, you know, really getting Yeah, he's tailing. Um, and then the, you know, he comes in and pr- improves. I'm wrong. I'm not sure the age difference uh, of those two, you know, in the situation that they're in. But you know, goaltending. I say goaltending is everything. It's like if you can have a I said in this case, it's not going to be a franchise goaltender because these guys are going to be on the, you know, the, the latter part of their careers. But if you build your team around a solid, solid goaltending, you know, one, two, yeah, guys, well, they, like, they mean, already have the kid there. from Florida, right? Yeah, Dreyer. exactly. So he had a it's great like, year. I think you just give yourself so much better chance, so much better, better chance to to be successful. And then obviously right. the D that they have available and the forwards, like you have an opportunity to really build out an amazing team there. So. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. See how it goes down. Uh, our uh, our flyers here, you know, like obviously uh, Big Jake uh, on the list. JVR, Ghost, Hager. Um, trying to think, of, you know, even Moose is on there. Uh, I I think I don't know if Moose is going to be back. I'm not sure which way the flyers are going to go, but I um, heard through the grapevine that uh he's got some options out there which yeah, is really good I to hear it. because he's a he's just i mean we've talked about moose uh he's just a brian elliott he's just a he's such a pro he just comes to work every day i i feel like i'm not a gm but i love him and carter together i feel like even one more year moose moose isn't done like he's still got game yeah i agree um i just love those two together just because of what moose brings to the table as far as being a pro you know helping carter out and carter's mature past you know way past his years but still it's always nice to have that guy that's been through a lot and been through a lot of seasons and uh moose is awesome so um we'll see what happens man it's going to be interesting to see what who they take from uh the flyers and every team really but yeah i'm kind of excited to watch yeah me too some tells me uh, just knowing JVR and, and knowing 
you know how much of a pro he is. I could see them taking JVR. I don't think Hack yeah. ever had JVR, but I know he knows him well just from you know from right. coaching against him and, and knowing um, his his past roots and everything like that. But to me, it's like if you want to have a veteran player, you know, obviously there's other many other veteran players that are you know well established as well. But I think just like a guy that seems to be like a fine wine, he seems to get better with age, and you know is all about. Uh, and taking care of himself, and I think he'd be a good guy yeah. around uh, for the young guys. Um, he really would. Um, but exactly you know, right. what, what the hell do I know? But I, I, I could see a guy like JVR getting and getting gobbled up. I'm not sure what Ghost, you know, Voracek. I think, you know, obviously in his prime, I think you know Jake was, you know, definitely yeah. would have been sought after. But I, th- I think he maybe he's a little bit unpredictable right now in his career. Um, again, you have one crack at this, uh, one cracking at this. Yeah, um, one crack. <laughs> Nice, um, you know, nice. You got to uh, you, you make sure you hit home runs here, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It'd be yeah, interesting, me too, man. I, 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 uh, I saw a rumor, and it's a rumor. I don't know where it even came from, but they were talking about Jake going to St. Louis for for Tarasenko. Oh, okay. Um, I, I know one thing that Jake had his best year ever under Craig Berube, and we've talked about this before. Jake's one of those guys where he needs ice time. Yeah. The more he plays, the better he plays. And that's yeah. just, you know, I know it's sometimes things happen, you know, you get in a game and it used to drive Jake nuts. I used to laugh because, you know, someone take a penalty early. Oh, like, fuck, fuck me. You know, because he knows he's not going on the ice for two yeah, He's yeah, not yeah, killing exactly. a penalty. And then another penalty and he's like, what the fuck is going on? You oh, know, yeah. what's going on? If there were a lot of penalties, Jake's losing his mind because – He's just sitting there and, and he's that oh, yeah. guy that likes to likes to play. And you can look at his numbers. I'm not an analytics guy, but you look at the more ice time Jake gets, the better he plays, the more he produces. So anyway, Chief had him. Chief knows him. Chief certainly pushed the right buttons with uh, Jake. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's again, it's just going to be exciting to see. I, I, there'll probably be some surprises. Yeah, I think so, too. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think most guys, especially high-end guys, everyone wants to play, right? And the yeah. more, more ice time you get, the more involved you get. But, yeah, um, yeah I know what it's like to, to sit there when there's special teams, especially when you're the fourth line, you know, fourth line guy. And it's like they start, you know, after the penalty, they start top of the orders. So then you got to go. Yeah, you got to start over lines. again. <laughs> At least he was I, at the top of the line. The one thing for you, though, that was even harder was you may sit there for 10 minutes and then it's like, Oh shit! I got to go out here and take care of something. You know, it's yeah, not like you exactly. had to go out there and play a ship. You had to go out yeah. there and like drop the drop the biddies and fuck. You know, so that's way harder than sitting there. Well, and I had just to make that one shift really count. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Another one after that. Yeah, for it, sure. There's it, a lot of pressure exactly. on that one shift. So, so that that's that's something I wouldn't want to have to do. I'd rather sit there and then just have to go have the shift instead of uh, sometimes what you would have to do. But uh, that, yeah, that, you know. Anyway. But we'll see what happens, man. Yep. It's a big day. Big day. All right, Nas. Let's jump into our next episode with our good friend, Bill Clement. Bill presented Clement. by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. 
DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KNUCKLES when you sign up. That's promo code KNUCKLES for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, PA only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome back to another episode of Nasty Knuckles. I'm Riley Cote. And I am Derek Suttlemeyer. And this week, we are thrilled to have our good buddy with us. Two-time Stanley Cup champion. Two-time All-Star. I can't even name everyone he's worked for in broadcasting because it's literally every station, every everything you can think of. He is the man, Mr. Bill Clement. How you doing, buddy? I think you just called me a hooker, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. Well, I mean, you, you, you cleaned it up a little bit. <laughs> the truth was, I would work when I was working for, for anybody that wanted to hire me as long as I could fit it into my schedule. So... The list of television and radio networks that I've worked for is pretty, well, I'm old, so it's substantial. It's long. Well, it's impressive. It, it's, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. Is there any one you didn't work on? Because I feel like you've worked on every established network that ever existed. ABC, NBC, CBS. CBS, I didn't do TV. I did some radio. TNT, uh, Sports Channel America, NBC Sports versus... And the first year that NBC got the rights to the NHL, most of the games were broadcast on OLN. Yeah, on the outdoor on the Outdoor Life Network. That's right. And we were all like, I I was a rookie as a as a studio host, and Neil Smith, the former uh, GM of the New York Rangers, and Jonesy and Keith Jones. Jonesy was a rookie too. So our first show, um, I go to close it up at the end, and. I was all over the freaking map. I didn't even know what I was saying. Jonesy did kind of a, a closing comment that made no sense at all. Like, uh, and and Neil had blab he blabbered something or other, and we finally, you know, faded to black, and it was horrible. And, and I, I I started to smile. I looked at Jonesy and I said, "Well, that went pretty well." <laughs> and. and uh, and Jonesy said, oh, that was horrible. And, and Neil Smith said, gee, guys, I thought we did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, he was... Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, could have been that bad. Well, I, I'm, you know, my career could have ended a couple of times. In, when I'd only been at it for about two years, in 1987, I, I'd only been at it for a year, I guess, year and a half, as an analyst, game analyst, right, up in the booth with yeah. all the games. So I get a chance. Um, the U.S. Olympic team was playing this Russian select team three times before the, the Olympics uh, that were coming up in 88 in Calgary. So I was doing color and I got to work with Al Michaels oh. and uh, Mike Ruzioni, who was the hero in 1980. He was going to be our, our host down in the locker room doing interviews between periods and stuff like that. So um, the night before the first game, our producer comes to me and says, Ruzioni's not coming. He's got a better gig. He's got a better offer, something like that. He said, can you run down between periods and do the interviews? And I was way too stupid to say no. So 
I said, yeah, sure. I can handle that. I've never done a live interview in my life interviewing somebody else. It's easy when somebody is asking you the questions. I'm going over the questions and I had uh, two guys to interview. Uh, Tony Granato was one of them. I forget who the other one was in the, in the second intermission. So I go down there, run down. Al Michaels told me before the game, he said, I haven't done a game since 1980. So he said, jump in all you want, right? I need help. So come on in. Like, I'll let you in anytime you open your mouth. So the first period, I'm so mentally rehearsing how I'm going to get into the interview, get out of the interview. I didn't help Al even this much. (laughs) I'm saying to myself, this is not good. So it it gets worse. So I run down. I'm sitting there. Here comes Tony Granato. And I was going to start the interview with, and I'm here with Tony Granato. Tony, what's a kid from Downers Grove, Illinois, doing in the U.S. Olympic program? Doesn't seem like it's a hotbed of hockey. So here with Tony Granato. And uh, Tony, tell us, what's a boy from, from... And I just blanked. And I said, well, don't let us die here on television, Tony. Where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great Well, but guess what? Inside, now I'm starting to die. I finished the interview. Now I'm starting to sweat. And when I sweat, I really sweat. (laughs) So we go to a commercial break. We come back. And now I got to call the replays, the highlights of the first period. I didn't know the difference between having one tape machine and two tape machines. When you have two tape machines, you look at the first replay. The second machine, the B machine, is queued up for the second replay. While the second replay is going on, machine A queues up for the third one, right? And it just goes bang, 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 bang. Those are our highlights from the first period. So I do the first highlight, and our producer, Bruce Connell, passed away. Bless his soul. He was a tremendous fellow. He died way too young just a couple years ago. He starts yelling in my ear, my IFB, look up, look up, look like looking up like I was looking into the face of a giant (laughs) serpent T-Rex. And I thought, I didn't know. And he says, okay, second highlight. And I'm able to look down and then he starts yelling at me, look up, look up. They had one tape machine. So they needed time to queue up to the next replay. And I needed to fill in between. And, you know, I, I, my name wasn't, my middle name wasn't Phil. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time I get, by the time I get through the second replay, there's a third one coming and he's yelling, look up. So I look up and I'm, I'm talking about that. The Olympics are coming in a few, I, I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> Sweat is dripping off my nose and Bruce has my key pressed down and he doesn't know his, he's trying to speak to the stage manager, the girl that was our stage manager. And he had my key pressed down at the same time. So he's screaming at her, get a towel and wipe him off. He looks fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm on the, I'm live on TV with with my producer yelling that I look that bad. (laughs) I I don't know how I did the second period. Poor Al Michaels. I called my wife. There were no cell phones. Like I didn't have one in 1987. I called my wife and I said, I think my broadcast career has ended. (laughs) And I, well, I don't well, think anybody's going to hire me after this. So it's <laughs> amazing. Well, it's like a scene out of Anchorman. A, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, beautiful man, start that, to career. It's yeah, I was gonna say, and then uh, you looked way more comfortable in the overtime game with Washington and uh, in the Islanders, though. And I'll never forget, I was up here in uh, Philly visiting my my dad, and uh, you're covering that game with Doc, Mike Emmerich, and uh, I forget how many did it go four overtimes? Was yeah. it four or five? Four. And Riles, you may be too young, just like <laughs> to remember, but anyway. Uh, I, I, cause I was a teenager and, uh, they come back and Billy's got his tie around his head. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was one of my dress shirt. I yeah. took my, I'm actually a lot better when I start taking off clothes. <laughs> you don't sweat as much, bro. It was one of the greatest things I ever saw, man. I we didn't it. have any, you know, we got so much shit for that from certain, <clears throat> the president of ESPN sent us a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne. Um, the vice president of programming killed us in usa today the next day our own people really yeah wow and and we never wanted to make it that what people don't understand is doc and i were getting punchy um we knew that we were witnessing kind of the woodstock of hockey for its time because it was the longest modern day game and we had we had no programming for between periods we had no canned features. We had couldn't, couldn't get any players for interviews. Right. Our studio at ESPN was a one-man band. I think it was Tom Meese back there. So Doc and I, we wanted to have a, some fun with it. And we never wanted to take away from the product. And that's something that I always stress to young broadcasters. You are not the show. Okay? Remember, you're the conduit that connects what's happening on the ice, on the ball field, wherever. You connect the people to that. So we limited the fun that we had between periods when there was nothing going on on the ice. And I, I learned then, and I've told, I, I get sent tapes and look at stuff, um, you know, footage of broadcasters saying, can you help me? And I remember when I was a full-time actor and I started taking acting classes and I had a class in New York and I did the scene where I was supposed to be on the phone. And this, this acting coach named Joan C. S-E-E. I'll never forget that bitch because she, because <laughs> <laughs> she, she really embarrassed me. But what happened was I did this scene and she said, well, you're a real slice of white bread, aren't you? I said, <laughs> what, do you what do you mean? She said, there's, there's nothing there. She said, there's no rye. There's no pumpernickel. There's no whole wheat. You're just white bread. You, you, you showed me nothing there. And I thought, I never forgot that. And I use that expression very often to, to young broadcasters. I say, look, at some point, you have to step out on the ledge or you have to become something more than a slice of white bread. Right. And that's what Doc and I did. It put us on the map yeah. to this day, yeah. unintentionally. But to this day, people still say, you know, if somebody recognizes me, when are you going to tie your tie around your head? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. You know, I and Doc led me to all kinds of impressions. I was doing Boom Boom Jeffrey yeah. on and a Pakistani soothsayer and... <laughs> You know, just, it was craziness. It was crazy. You ever send that clip to her? Awesome. You ever send that clip to her? Say, here, here's some pumpernickel. Nope. <laughs> here, pump this nickel, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I learned from it. Those are those oh, things yeah. that happen, you know, that are maybe embarrassing, but you need to hear them. Right. And um, I did pretty darn well. I mean, I was a full-time actor for five years. We went to New York from Atlanta, my wife and I. We met, we were married at the time. I had 
you know, I lost everything, uh, my home, my marriage, uh, all of my money in a restaurant franchising venture uh, oh. two and a half years after I retired from my 11 years, you know, in the show. And um, we moved to New York and we didn't, I, I did a, a lot of work on, on human development. I read a lot of human development stuff, like Think and Grow Rich. Right. And a guy that lost more money than anybody, his guy's name is John Quattrochi. He goes by John Q., really successful guy today, but he lost more money than any of my investors. And trust me when I tell you, phone calls to people that you know that trusted you uh, and that believed in you to tell them that it's all gone, those are really hard, uh, hard calls to make. John Q lost more money than anybody in my restaurant, and he was more concerned with my emotional state than he was his money. And he came and presented me with a copy of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I highlighted it. Then I went back again and I red redlined some of the highlighted areas. So I had a 15-minute read. I had a 90-minute read. And one of the things it talked about was what the Greeks and the Spaniards used to do when they send their, their soldiers ashore, right, to conquer a country or an area. They burn their ships. They would actually burn. Yeah, they burn their ships. Well, those soldiers that went ashore really had one option, right? Win or die. Yeah. And I knew the importance of that. There were actors in Atlanta that used to go and spend three weeks in New York or three months in New York and they'd come back and say, yeah, you know, I didn't like it or it didn't work out. They just, they gave, they gave themselves an avenue of retreat. We didn't. And, and we became pretty darn successful while we were in New York. And the phone rang one day and it was ESPN asking me to audition if I wanted to, and guys, it's hard auditioning for your lunch and your rent every week. Yeah. Um, and I said to ESPN, I said, what does the audition consist of? And they said, a live game on the air. Wow. And I went, Ooh, oh, my God. <laughs> but I have a, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pain in the butt to a lot of people because I'm a, I'm a preparer, right? I right. really want to prepare. So I said to ESPN, I said, what do you want me to be? What are you looking for in your analyst? Who, who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And they said, we want you to educate the uneducated fans without offending the educated. Mm. Okay. So there were all kinds of ways to do that, like, like taught, using the term standing up at the blue line. And then, and then just mentioning, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just staying on your feet, staying vertical. It's making sure you don't back up into your end too soon on the blue line. So when a coach is screaming, stand up, stand up, the players know what he's talking about. So something like that, I educated the uneducated. I don't, without pissing off the, you know, the, right. the hardcore fan. And I, I won the job. There were five guys that auditioned and my game was in Chicago stadium, good old wow. Chicago stadium. Yeah. And wow. Minnesota North stars in Chicago. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Riles, you were, you are going to ask him something about the acting, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you brought it up. Uh, I saw that you were in the uh, it was the drama series All My Children. I was curious in how you landed up, uh, obviously getting that role. And I didn't realize the progression of you getting into acting before you get into broadcasting. Seems yeah. Nice. Well, when I you know when I lost everything, uh, I thought, okay, what now? Right? What right. do I do? And I looked for the right restaurant location for a year. And I realized at one point I hadn't had a paycheck in over a year. So I sat there one day and I said, what do I, what could I do that I think I have an aptitude for that could be financially rewarding that might not be that time consuming. And I played with a guy in Atlanta named Kurt Bennett. 
he had four other brothers that all played pro three other ones in the NHL, Harvey Bennett, Kurt Bennett, Billy Bennett. Um, and Kurt's wife was a performer. And I found out about 10 years ago, I don't know if she still is, but I was reading an article in USA Today, maybe it was 15 years ago, that Susan Bennett was the voice of Siri. No way. No way. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I went to Susan. I said, Susan, can you, can you get me in to see some agents in Atlanta? Because Atlanta and Chicago are the next largest um, markets for acting and, and for opportunities. After New York and Los Angeles, it goes Atlanta and Chicago. Uh, and she said, sure. So I went and taught, saw two agents. They said, you need a headshot. Okay, I'll get a headshot, I'll make up a fake resume or something like that. <laughs> and they sent me out on some auditions and I actually landed a couple of commercial jobs before my restaurant even opened. So I th- so when, and one, one of them was a national commercial for Hardy's hamburgers. And I kept getting these checks every month. And I thought, this isn't half bad. Yeah. When the restaurant closed, I really didn't have much of an option. I said, you know, this is the only thing I've done, the, the acting thing, the commercials. I guess I better try as hard as I can. So I enrolled in the Alliance Theater School in Atlanta and took every class I could get my hands on. So by the time I went, got to New York, I was, I was kind of ready to be there um, in spite of what Joan C. had to say to me <laughs> about white me, bread. White bread. Uh, and I got, listen, I had, a, I had a one-off on all my children. It looks great on the resume. I had a one-day gig where I was the, uh, wore a, a white cruise ship captain outfit. You know, I had my shirt like Love Boat. Yeah, the Love yeah. Boat. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Uh, my wife, Sissy, actually was uh, was on far more often than I was. She she was Erica Kane's nurse every time Erica went to the hospital. And fortunately for our bank accounts, Erica was a hypochondriac that was in the hospital <laughs> often. Yeah. Which my wife, bless her heart, had a whole nice. bunch of work for us. So, oh, man. It's all good. Yeah, but some of, the auditions are, some of the auditions are crazy. Um the, the 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 commercial that I got that I made the most money on I think I made about 157 grand on on one commercial, um, and it was during the the playoffs and I was working for ESPN, and I auditioned for Deep Woods Off, right for the insect repellent, and what happens in a in a major market audition is they have 60 70 80 I don't know maybe 100 people audition for it. Then they have the first callback where they narrow it down to maybe 15. Then they have a second callback where it's their top three or four choices and the director's there. Well, I was doing the Rangers Flyer series on ESPN and the first callback, they said, they want you back for a callback. And I went, great, I can't make it. I'm going to be in Philadelphia all day. The callback was in New York. A week later, guess what? Third callback. They want you to come to the third callback. I said, I can't make that one either. There's no way. And there's, I, there was no way I was going to get that job. So I, I get a call like a week later, you got the job. The <laughs> first thing I thought was those guys must've been brutal. <laughs> All the other guys. What, what happened? So I, and, and here's the deal. We were shooting in the Florida Everglades um, in the middle of the night after dark on a Wednesday night, I had a Tuesday night game in Philly and a Thursday night game in New York. And they wanted me to fly down to Florida in between. So I, I t- our producer was Bruce Connell. I said, Brucey, what do you think? He said, if you have a chance to do this, go for it. Even if you show up at five o'clock the day of the game, just off the plane, you know, we'll cover you. You're smart enough. You're good enough. Go and do it. So I get down to Florida 
and I met the, the in the in the restaurant. There was the director, the producer, the Johnson and Johnson lady, and the advertising agency lady. And I went in, and I started to feel like one of those twenty-four hour flus. Like, oh my god, I'm, I felt horrible. I said, Can, "Would it be okay if I got a couple hours sleep?" And this is in the afternoon, and and then we'll talk. And they said, "Yeah, we'll come up to your room. Call me." So I called the director. And they come into my room, two men, two women, and it's just a little hotel room. And one sits on bed, they're sitting in a chair, and there's this tenseness, right? I know, like, something's wrong here. <laughs> so they said, the director said, are you off book? Meaning, have you memorized your lines? And I had to do a full 30 second. there was seconds. There were no pickup points. Um, and I had just supposed to have just a pair of shorts on. I'm in a tent with 10,000 mosquitoes and biting flies. This steady cam comes tracking down this path. Two little pieces of thread open up the cheesecloth. And there I am inside with just a pair of shorts on. So he said, are you off book? He said, well, go ahead and run through it. I said, we filled this tent with 10,000 hungry mosquitoes and biting flies, but they're not biting me. I'm using deep woods off repels extra tough mosquitoes and biting flies. So I said, uh, okay, uh, we'll, we, do one that's stronger. It's more severe. I said, okay. Filled this tent with 10,000 hungry mosquitoes and biting flies, but they're not biting me. I'm using deep woods off. And then said, can you lighten it up? And I said, sure. I said, uh, <laughs> we filled this tent with 10,000 hungry mosquitoes and biting flies, but they're not biting me. I'm using deep woods off. It repels extra tough mosquitoes and biting flies. And everybody in the room went, oh, and then they told me what this was all about. Without the callbacks, the director didn't know if I could take direction, right? If he could move me oh. in to one direction or the other. The two women, the, the Johnson & Johnson lady and the advertising agency lady wanted me. The producer and director, the two men, didn't want me because they didn't know if I'd be able to deliver what they wanted. It, it, we all lived happily ever after. Yeah, oh, man. And I did a remake of it wow. in 2003, I think. That was in 87 also. But over the years, I think about 153 Incredible. to 157,000 bucks. So it's yeah. amazing. Call Deep Woods off again to <laughs> see if they need anything or whatever. Well, they got me. They did a remake when I was 53 or 54. I was only 36 then, but they did a remake. Yeah. And. <laughs> At some point, I'm praying they don't want me to take my shirt off <laughs> in the tent again. Because believe me, it wasn't as pretty at 53 as it was at 36. <laughs> you got the right voice for it, for sure. All three of those options seem to seem to have yeah. triggered it. I don't know. They're you know what's funny? Here's here's the deal. First of all, Deep Woods Off, it burnt the hell out of my skin. <laughs> uh, it was the first time. And it smelled awful. And they put so much of it on me. The second time, the remake, it smelled better and I didn't get bit once. But the year one, right? In my hotel room, they said, we're going to have we're going to have to ask you to sign an affidavit after the shoot saying you didn't get bit by anything. I said, do you have that with you? They said, yeah. I said, give it to me now. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I signed it and I got bit twice. Oh, man. I got bit. My move was standing up on a cot. I I had a pair of boots, shorts on, and I rubbed the repellent off the back of one of my calf calf muscles. And one of the flies, the mosquitoes just disappear. The biting flies, you know, like cow flies, they're house flies that bite, right? And then I got got bit there and right here. 
And it was during one of the takes, and they did the close-up of me. They said, cut, cut. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. We can't use that one. (laughs) I got bit twice. That's incredible. You're talking about these uh, ads that you did. Uh, I was reading that you, uh, I think you did one for for Bud Light, and you were known for your calm, consistent passing game. And then there's this (sighs) Clement, Clement, hands of cement. Can you shed some light on that? (laughs) <laughs> sure. They were the most fun. And the Bud Light people treated us like gold. They were they ran on ESPN during on National Hockey Nights. And Brian Engblom was in them, Barry Melrose, uh, nice. Phil Esposito. And and it, it was the, the premise was this fictitious town in northern Minnesota called Hockey Falls. And these guys were in their 30s and they all had mullets. And each one of them had a favorite team, and that's all they ever wore. One wore a Boston jersey, one had a Devils jersey, one had a Rangers jersey, and they really believed that they were going to make it to the NHL, <laughs> right? They were flunkies. They didn't even have jobs. They were just uh, – so on this we, – we flew to L.A. to shoot a bunch of the commercials, and I had looked at the scripts, and the, the mullet heads are choosing sides for street hockey. And, like, what about Melrose? Uh, ah, he still thinks he's coaching. What about <laughs> – Espo, Espo, Esposito. And at one point, Espo in the script, Espo goes, guys, guys, while we're still young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny because Espo was in his 70s. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then it's a, the, the script read, uh, what about Clement? Ah, oh, no, he can't pass. He's a, he's a, he doesn't know. No, he can't play defense or something like something that alluded to me not being a good defensive player. I said to the director, I said, you know, that's probably the only thing that I was any good at was, was defending and things like that. He, I said, do we have to use that line? And he said, well, what do you got? You know, I said, well, I don't know. Clement rhymes with cement. And you could just say, what about Clement? Oh, he's got hands of cement. But these three, the four actors, they took it a step further. When one of them said, what about Clement? And they all, all four of them just ad lib. Ah, Clement, Clement, hands of cement. Oh, man. And, Beautiful. And it made it. And to this day, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. the one commercial that people remember. Yeah. Uh, and the only reason was I said, well, you know what? I'm, that's the only thing I could do is check and, and be a good <laughs> defensive player. So they changed, they changed the script and the actors took it to another level. They're all good guys, too. We had, cool. Boy, we had a blast doing those commercials. One of oh, them was like, come fun. on, guys. Uh, we're, we're all drinking Bud Light in our room right before the game. And Espo was saying, way to go, guys. This is great. You know, just everybody's, you know, high-fiving and everything. And, and the scene looks like we just won a game, yeah. right? All of a sudden, ref opens the door. Guys, game starts in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of you can times. still find them on YouTube if anybody yeah. sees this and wants to see them. They were all really good. So much fun to shoot. Yeah, we're going to track I, those I, down for sure. I, I, we're definitely <laughs> trying. I've been, I've been writing it all down. But I've seen yeah. – I remember I remember some of this, though, for sure. Brian Engblom was the only guy that had really had a kind of a mullet himself. He had his own. He had then. a real one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I thought Barry Melrose would have had one for sure. Ah, uh, Bear was – Not quite not, yet. Not as much. He did it one time. It yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the voice of EA Sports uh, NHL hockey for, I think, seven years or so. I mean, I remember growing up playing that game and, and, and not knowing who you were at the time. But, you know, connecting the dots after the fact, that must have been a pretty, pretty cool gig. Yeah. You, you really know you've made it when nine- and ten-year-old kids come up to you and say, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Right? They yeah. hear a 
people, legend. Know, a parent will come up and say, I knew that was you right away because your voice is in our living room every day. <laughs> yeah, right. Because of the game. You could be ordering a coffee at, at Wawa and, and <laughs> yeah, right. they hear you talking like, oh, Bill, is that you? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. EA Sports. Yeah. It's in the game. It's in the game. Um, there were so really, it's difficult work creating. Um, I think people think that you just read you know, to sit down and read, read what they give you. It, it doesn't work that way. Not the way EA Sports did it. And they said, you know, you probably just were watching a game that they were replaying for you. When Gary Thorne and I would sit down across from one another with our mics that look just like your mics, um, where there'd be a stack of paper that thick. And they wanted five variations of everything ad-libbed. So, and there were hundreds if not thousands of scenarios so let's say scenario one shot from the left point right low to the glove side degree of difficulty for the goaltender low low degree of difficulty gary said he took that shot oh that doesn't seem like it had much of a chance to go in you're right gary he's got to get more on it maybe even get it higher in the net next Right, took that shot. I'm not sure he was going for low to the glove side, but that's where it ended up. Yeah, and it looked like there was a lot of room on the other side. Five oh, versions. Wow. Then, then, shot from the point, degree of difficulty for the goalie, medium, glove height, and then high, and then blocker side, low, stick side, low, stick side, middle, blocker side, up. Then five hole. Five. Wow. They wanted five variations and then they'd move the dial that much and say, okay, now five of these, five of these, five of these. Oh my God. They, they determined over the years, and Gary and I could, could vouch for this, that the breaking point for your brain is six hours. We do three, four hours, have lunch, and then after, after going two more hours of trying to create and say something a different way, like reinvent your own vocabulary and the sentence structure and everything, we, we was... We, Gary would start and say, <laughs> we'd get the giggles, right? And then we yeah. couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, okay, let's just try and do a couple more, guys. Yeah. And by the time six hours rolled around, we were just like jello. You got it off, right? Oh, God. That was, it was, but because it was so demanding, it was really rewarding. Right. 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 You know, nothing that's really that easy feels all that great. You know, it's, it's not some challenge. Guess, guess anybody could do it. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's awesome. I yeah. how, So like how long, how many days would you be there to, to, to do that? Like for three, three days, Usually they'd refresh every year. If there was a new team that came in, Gary would do all of the names. What it may, yeah, three days. Uh-huh. And we, uh, we, we uh, recorded in Vancouver for a few years. I think we were together seven, eight or nine years. Uh, and then outside of San Francisco, and then down in Florida, close closer to where Gary lived, outside of Sarasota, um, okay. and away we went. You know, so it was wow. uh, it was pretty cool. And what what always amazed Gary and me, because we we didn't know how this shit worked. Like, yeah. Oh, how does the wherever the whatever's happening on the ice, the software calls up the appropriate commentary. Oh, right. My. Yeah. There are yeah. Thousands and thousands and thousands of bites and, and one liners and things like that, both for Gary and me and the software just. It's amazing. Why didn't we think of that? 
Garrett. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still, you know, I'm not sophisticated enough te- technologically or in the computer world, but they, they, they're pretty cool people. Yeah. EA yeah. Sports. Yeah. It is that amazing. Is impressive. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Bill, um, you know, where along the lines did you realize your voice was a big part of your performance? Like you, you talked about your acting. I didn't realize you were an actor until I did, you know, did some homework uh, yesterday, oh. you know, on, on your career. But like I, when I think of Bill Clement, I think of, you know, the voice, you know, this, 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 this voice. And you're obviously in the speaker world. Like when, when did you make those connections? Was when you did your acting? Or was it before that? I don't really remember my, first of all, my voice is what mom and dad and the big guy upstairs gave me. Yeah. Uh, it's untrained. I never took a, a voice. I, I, I never took a specifically a voice class, but there were many times when I would be driving to an audition in Atlanta, when I first started trying to get the Canadian out of my mouth. Yeah. So oh. I would be driving along and I'd be going out house now, down. <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and I, I had to learn how to speak neutral American. Uh, so there was an accent thing that I had to kind of get rid of. But, you know, I, enough people, I guess, just saying, gosh, you got a nice voice. Yeah. You got a great voice. Or I just I never tried to do anything specific because of my voice. It was just part of the package and the parcel when anybody else wanted. Remember, I'm the hooker that worked for 34 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So whatever they wanted from me, I would would go and do. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I really enjoyed, you know, I wrote a book uh, called Everyday Leadership, uh, Crossing Gorges on Tight Ropes to Success. And I'm in a business suit on a tightrope with a giant long hockey stick as my balancing bar. I'm crossing Grand Canyon. And I decided to to turn it into an audio book. And it was really interesting doing that. And I'm really glad I did. It didn't sell worth a damn once I even turned it into a, you know, an audio book, but it was certainly enjoyable to do and kind of enjoyable to listen back to and realize what I might be able to, if I ever chose to, to do with, with my voice. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like you said, I mean, you know, kids come up to you because they recognize, you know, your voice right. is very recognizable, like obviously. Um, See, I don't, you know, when people say that, I don't know that. Right. Like almost everybody else, I don't like my own voice. Yeah, right. I always tell people I don't really rewatch us because I can't stand listening to myself. You know what I mean? But I sound yeah, like well, just, I've still got the redneck in me too, though. A lot of people are like still trying to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't. Well, just for the record, since I'm just for the record, since I'm guest number thirty-three, I can't stand your voice e- voice either now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame. You. Only kidding, brother. You know that. I know. You got to have a sense of humor. That's right. I remember when I left, you know, when I started playing hockey on on a big, bigger level, I I left home when I was 15. I was the youngest player in the Quebec League. And then I spent three years in the Ontario League as I was an original Ottawa 67 in 1967. And as you get more advanced and older, you better have thicker skin. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. You get chewed up. You're in the American League, Rye Riles. You played in the minors too. There's nothing sacred, man. It's all in. <laughs> we were we were actually talking about that, Bill. Uh, we we're gonna ask you. It's funny, like so. Guys still play pranks on one another. Yeah, but it's. I remember my dad telling me stories about guys cutting guys' suits, their boots. Oh yeah. Is what what like? What was one of your favorites you saw? Because like 
you can't touch people's clothes anymore. Like the most we can do is I got Michael Raffle a few years ago. Really good. I, he had a new suit and we've talked about this before. I've got a video of it. It's, it's hilarious, but his phone, I put his phone in his pocket, turned his pants and I inside out and I stitched with my sewing machine across. So he could put his hand in his pocket, but he could not get to his phone. And yeah. every, everyone in the change room knew it. So we're all watching him and we're videoing him and he's just having a time. He's looking and he's, he, he turns and he, he hears us kind of laughing. He goes, I was like, what the fuck is going on, man? He goes, is there a secret pocket in my pants? You know, but I had sewn it. He couldn't oh. figure it out for the life. Oh, but anyway, we, yeah. we, we were going to ask you, like, what, what you guys used to do, like, so, you know, well, when you pranks. Yeah. I mean, well, when I got traded to Washington, we had a guy named uh, Peter Skimura. He was from Buffalo, and he was the Capitals' first draft choice that year. It was the second year in the league, and we were awful. And Peter dressed like a freaking slob. <laughs> I mean, just a sports jacket that looked like he's like he just rolled it up in a ball and sat on it for three years <laughs> before he put it on. And he'd wear it to practice. He'd wear these moccasins that were just falling apart. And he'd wear them every day. And we'd all say, Peter, get some new fucking shoes. Yeah. That's, that's, that is not right yeah. to be dressed like that as a professional athlete and a major league athlete. Can't do that. Finally, finally one day we said, Peter, if you don't get new shoes, we're going to cut them. We're gonna... And so I slipped off the ice of practice and I cut them from toe to heel in two pieces. So we had four <laughs> half pieces of moccasins. So we left, he just left them bare feet. Yeah. <laughs> when I was with a with a in Atlanta one time, um, I had a brand new Dior tie and a brand new sports jacket, and I busted them out for a trip to New York. Right here we uh, go. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And we're flying a commercial, so we're all hungover like crazy. You know, when it's time to we have like a seven thirty flight out of LaGuardia, get it going to Atlanta the next morning, and I'm sitting with all the guys in a waiting area in the waiting boarding area waiting lounge and and i kind of nod off and when i when i wake up empty seats empty seats oh, empty no. seats oh shit <laughs> so the first thing the first thing i did which is the first natural thing for for hockey guys is go like this to see what's on top of your head right? Whether it's shaving shaving cream or or whatever and uh so i i, I hate to give anybody the payoff right of overreacting so i just did that okay it's not there and i just took my hand and ran it down my tie and when i got to here my tie ended <laughs> <laughs> they cut it off right so i just undid it and uh threw it in the seat beside me then present pretended i was going back to sleep like that's how underreactive i want right. to be yeah. trust me i wasn't going back to sleep <laughs> so I, I got on the plane and I got sitting beside a guy named uh, Red Lawrence, Don Lawrence. If he hadn't really seriously busted up his leg his last year junior, he would have been a hell of an NHLer. So he's a rookie and I'm sitting there on the plane beside him. He's got a center seat, of course, because he's a rookie. I said, uh, so let me ask you something. If, uh, if I said that Willie Plett was the guy that cut off my tie, would I be right? And he went, I said, if I said that Bobby Lalonde had cut off my tie, would I be wrong? And he went, 
<laughs> I wouldn't be wrong. Uh, so that's all you had to do. I didn't get yeah. him to tell me the name. Right. So right. I knew Bobby Lalonde was five, five was the most, he was the cockiest little bastard because I think he had to be, he was only five, five. Right. He was a hell of a player. Uh, he was, he was so cocky. Like there was a player that played back in the twenties and thirties named Newsy Lalonde. So his name was Bobby Lalonde, but the guys nicknamed him News, Newsy because it was an old time name. He, that wasn't good enough for him. He, he wanted everybody to call him the Daily. Oh. The Daily News. <laughs> so, on. hey, he wants the Daily. Hey, the Daily here. The Daily. <laughs> daily. So, he was cocky. Yeah. So <laughs> now, now I got him in my sights. Oh, so man. we all lived up north of Atlanta. But every once in a while, we practiced down at the Omni in Atlanta. And it's downtown. There are no service stations or anything around. So I get there early and I'm hiding in the bushes. Here comes Bobby Lalonde in his in his yellow Ford LTD, and I and he went into practice. And I had stopped at the hardware store and got one of those little keys that can take valves out of tires. Okay. So he went in, took a valve out of his left front tire, threw it as far as I could into the bush, <laughs> went to the rear tire, same side, took out the valve. Now he's down two valves, not one. He came out, and his car was tipped over on the side <laughs> like that. And the next day of practice, I just waited till he came out. Next day of practice, he comes in. Uh, 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 okay, we're even, huh? We call it even? <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. And he yeah. said, it took me four fucking hours to get my car out of there because there are no gas stations in downtown Atlanta. <laughs> so he spent he spent half half a day, you know, oh. trying to mess with him. So I got him back. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Good. That's really good. Yeah, it's it, the, the, the pranks aren't quite as... Uh... As good as it used to be from, yeah. yeah, from what my, my old man, the stories and like you, you say, uh, yeah, they just, they're, they're still, some of them are good, but it, they're way more sensitive these days. Oh yeah. Well, they, Cultures they are, and they, they used to, guys used to destroy hotel rooms for a prank. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, that reminds me, uh, Atlanta, my, my dad wanted me, uh, Sudsy wanted me to ask you about, uh, boom, boom, Jeffrey, your coach. Yeah, and he said there was a story about where he told you guys he wouldn't trade anyone for or, and then something about a the I can't remember exactly, but he said you would you would know. Yeah, <laughs> um, in Boston, and that year the Bruins farm team in the American League was the Boston Braves. They played out of the out of Boston Garden just like the Bruins oh. did, wow. <clears throat> and boom boom, we'll always try to fire the guys up, and uh, you know, come in. I do this on stage. I used to when I was still speaking, you know, and I talked about boom, boom. He'd say, uh, hey, he'd come into the room. He'd say, hey, I love you, guy. <laughs> I love you, guy. We all, we all wonder, does he love me individually? Yeah. Or does he talk to all of us? <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah. I grew up in Quebec, and French people have trouble with English plurals because they don't pronounce S's at the end of words in French. That's right. You, yeah. Most times. So, Probably. hey, I love you, guy, because you're the clan of flame. Atlanta the boom boom was Klana, K-L-A-N-N-A, Klana. Hey, we got 18 guy, two shifts each, 34 shifts. Come on, let's go. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't, I just, you know, I made some things up about him because he wasn't very good at math, but in practice, he'd yell over, hey, you tree guy, half of you come over here. <laughs> half <on>. of you. <laughs> oh. Oh, so in, in Boston, the Bruins had a couple of injuries, but Orr, Esposito, Hodge, Cashman, McKenzie, they're Busick, 
they're all there. They had a couple of guys that were way down the roster. They were injured and boom, boom comes in and he's trying to sell the guys on the idea that the Bruins are just decimated with injuries, right? We, I mean, we know they're, they're 95% healthy. All the big names <laughs> are healthy. So he comes in, Hey, I love you guy. Cause you're in a clan of flame. Hey, who they got those guy over there. That's not the Boston Bruin. That's the Boston brave. <laughs> hey, I want to guarantee you one thing. I would not trade any one of you guy or any one of those guy over there. Or maybe one or two guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe one or two. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Yeah. Maybe you guys just laugh when he left the room, or you guys just like looking oh, at each yeah. other like, what the yeah. fuck's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, well delivered. He was a character, man. Hey, the second guy to score 50 goals in the NHL. And the and he invented the slap shot. Really? Boom, boom, Jeffrey boom, boom, all invented boom. the slap shot. Nobody ever raised their stick up and slapped the puck. Huh. That's how he got his nickname. It would go boom, boom, when it would hit the boards in Montreal Forum. And some very creative person nicknamed him boom, boom. <laughs> very creative. Boom, boom. Yeah. Wow, what year would That's that have awesome. been? No slap shots before that? No, that was in the, in the 50s. 50s. Yeah, there were no, no slap. You watch any of the video. You have to get up to around 19. Well, by the time Chicago came around, the curve stick was basically invented by accident by Stan Makita. He hmm. broke his blade in half and it got stuck, you know, on an angle. But, it, you know, sometimes when a, the old the wooden sticks would break, they'd kind of hold in one spot. Yeah. Right. And he started taking a few shots with it and he could really fling it, you know, and he thought, look at this. And then Bobby Hull kind of kind of got a, a hold of it and. When the, when the curves were unlimited, oh, shit. Bobby Hall scored so many goals from outs and Dennis Hall because the puck would start to flutter and drop. And it was so dangerous. Like Bobby and Dennis will admit to this day, they'd waste their first shot. None of the goalies wore masks. They'd come over the blue line and rip one right at his head. Right at their head. And the, ne- and the next time one of them would wind up, what's the goalie do? Yeah. Right? Lifts up. Yeah. They shoot on the ice. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, strategy. Yeah, uh, but but Boom Boom is a part of uh, a part of history. He was an unbelievable player. I did not know that. That's a good tidbit of information. <laughs> where the slap shot came from. I know, right? Oh, wow! Yeah. That's awesome. But I did I did commercials for a group up in um, um, Alaska for a lot of years. God, they were so much fun for a telecommunications company. My kids were in some of them. Um, hey, Dad. One of them, my, my son says to me, he was about eight years old at the time. Hey, dad, who invented the hockey stick? I said, well, I don't know, son, but what's important is I perfected its use. That's what's important. <laughs> then he said, hey, dad, are you in the Hall of Fame? I've been there. Yes, sir. Yeah. I have been in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. That's great. No chance. No chance for the Hall. Oh, man. Well, um, Wanted to ask you a couple questions about about winning two Stanley Cups, though. I mean, yeah, uh, had to be obviously amazing. Um, in Phil, like you, in Philadelphia, I, I was saying to Riley before, like now it's so you know pe- fans aren't jumping on the ice and yeah. all that, and 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 seeing those pictures, you guys and people all over. You, I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, are you happy? Are you you're so excited? You don't really care, or is it like, what the fuck? Like, get off of me! People are grabbing you. Yeah, 
that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's it's, I mean, it, Oh God, I couldn't you look hard enough. That. You could see, you can see both Schultz, uh, Dave Schultz and, and I were, you know, people come up and grab you. We did it. We did it. And I was like, what's this? We shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see you on the bus or the plane or in the locker room, you know, man. And they, I know that they all just wanted to feel that they were a part of it, but yeah, most of the guys will tell you that you probably had some on the show that we kind of felt robbed of that very special moment on the ice, you know, with all of our fans. And that's, that's to me why, and, and, but to, to shut out the Boston Bruins with Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito, Right. We had a hell of a team. We had to have a hell of a team. The, yeah. It's always bothered me that our team that never got the respect that it deserved. And that's why I'm glad we won our second cup because everybody just said, oh, they just go and beat people up and that's how they win. Right. Really? Maybe a little more to it than that. Yeah, we, exactly. all, we all had to pull on the rope at the same time. But I don't know if any of the other guys would admit this, but I, if we didn't win game six, I'm not, I don't think we win the Stanley Cup. Really? We had to go back to Boston for a game yeah. seven. Right. Well, see, the problem that we had in that series was they had home ice advantage in a seven game series. The problem was we hadn't won in seven years in Boston. That's right. 31 consecutive games we had played in Boston. I wasn't there for all of them, dating back to the late 60s. They hadn't won. Incredible. Yeah. And we we lost game one with uh, uh, 22 seconds to go. And in game two, we tied it up with 50 seconds to go and won it in overtime. So we got our one win, right. but we didn't want to have to win another one yeah. in no. Boston. <laughs> so to shut Boston out, one nothing. And Riles, you know this, and, and uh, Nasty, you know this too. When, when you're standing on a bench, Nasty, as you did for so many years, and, and Nasty, if you have a one-goal lead against a really good team, the last five minutes of a third period – is like five years. Oh my God. Years. Yes. If you're behind, the last five minutes seems like it's five seconds. It's amazing, isn't it? it? The, the, the perception of time is wacky. So we gotta we're we're nursing a one-nothing lead and the clock is not moving. And come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Finally, we're it's it's gonna happen. And that's when the whole surrealistic is this shit real? Yeah. You know. You start asking yourself, could this, is this really happening? And, and there's a, there was a, a couple of minutes span there where I, I wasn't sure whether I was dreaming it or whether I was living it. Right. And when we finally realized what it was, it was, it, when people say, what was it like? I said, well, picture you in a walk of life. If you were a lawyer or a doctor or a bricklayer or whatever, and they had a competition to see who the best in the world was. And you get right down to the end after being so tired, so injured, worked so hard, having so many emotional ups and downs, all of those things, and finally being called the best in the world. Yeah. Uh, That's the only way I can describe what, you know, what it would feel like for you. So, Um, and you know what, guys, it's one of the reasons why the second time was so wonderful to have wanted to win on the road. Yeah. Because we had the, Cup to ourselves. It came back on the plane with us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and we were in the locker room with just a few extras. You know, not not a lot of different guys. It was really funny when we won our first cup. Uh, I was married to my first wife, um, and there was something wrong about the room. It was just getting loaded with people. But 
and and I kept my jersey on, and there were guys that had everything stolen. There were people oh, that were taking stuff out of the room. But I thought, this isn't right. Our wives have been through all of this with us, too. So I, I didn't take my skates off or anything. I clop, clop, clop in the spectrum down to where the wives' room was, past, I think it was past the visiting locker room or between them. And I said to my wife, come on, you're going to be part of that. And then all the other girls' wives started following. So it was, awesome. only, it was the right thing to do, to bring them yeah, down, down sure. the room, you know? Yeah, of course, so, yeah. I think that bitch special. stole my jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was the wives no, that are ripping the stuff she, up. No, she deserved it. Listen, you guys know what it's like. It's, it's yeah. hard to bring the game home with you. Right. And what yeah, a lot of is. people don't understand, too, that it's important for the wives to have harmony. Right. Right. There are a lot of players, you know, you know, the saying, you know, he, yeah. uh, he didn't get traded. His wife got traded. Yeah. yeah. You know, if they're true. troublemakers or oh, there's yeah. somebody See, that's, that's just true. not mixing right and stirring up crap all the time. Yeah. That happens way, too. People, way more. People don't know that that, that stuff happens. Yeah. yeah. It's more than you yeah. think. Too. It, it, yeah. It really the ego, the ego, the pissing contest between the wives, you know, it's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a bad thing. But I, I hit somebody. I took a shot. That was not deflected. <laughs> Somehow cleared the glass behind the gold by about seven feet, <laughs> and it went up and it and it, and it hit somebody hard. I think it hit a woman in the chest <clears throat> really hard, and everybody knew which wife was which. I said, you know, and my wife said, everybody looked at me with this look like they hated me because it was you that shot the puck. Oh my God! <laughs> wow. <laughs> you have Makita's stick. I had a curve and it was kind of opened up and yeah. it's just, you know, it's like that golf shot. Oh, I have a lot of them just got away from you. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of those. Too. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Um, Riles, we, you're going to ask him about the leadership. Uh, yeah. I was just curious. Uh, obviously when you went back to back Stanley cups uh, and on any great team, there's a core group of leaders. Can you, can you talk to just the, the, the overall leadership group clarky and down because i believe you were like you know <clears throat> you were you were probably a leader but i mean i mean i think it looked like it was a collective collective group of everyone buying in and just a, an amazing chemistry there yeah i if i was a leader it was because i worked hard and i always tried to help other people that and i was i, I think i was way too young i got traded away from the flyers when i was 24 and i was really immature i i so I went to Washington. They made me captain. And yeah. uh, boy, that was a tough job because we we were a second year expansion team and there weren't many guys that really cared about anything. But in Philadelphia, um, the leadership group was right at the top with Bobby Clark. Um, I, I can't imagine that there was ever a young athlete that was as committed to winning that had as great a hatred for losing and that would do anything to win and would expect everybody else on the team to do the same thing. Nobody ever outworked Bobby Clark and he was a talented player too. I mean, and he right. didn't have a great shot, but he could put up numbers. I mean, in many ways he reminded me of Wayne Gretzky because Gretz wasn't an overpowering skater or he didn't have a great shot or any of those. Clarky was a great passer, but he was tenacious and he could dig and he could do all of the right things. But the one thing that separated, I think, Bobby Clark from any young person that is given the role of, of leader is he was not afraid to have the tough conversation. 
with you one-on-one -on -one. we need you you're not giving us what you want what we want and it's funny there's a uh, um, a book that's sitting over my book in case you can't see it called the servant leader and a guy named james austin wrote it and in one paragraph he wrote the number one drawback in the business world and shortcoming of almost everybody in a management or leadership position is the inability, the fear, or the reluctance to have the tough conversation. In other words, it's easy to say, hey, uh, Ralph, we're really glad we hired you. You're doing a great job. But so few are able to say, Ralph, you're not doing what we, had, what we expected of you. Tell me why. That, right. it's, it's a hard yeah. conversation to have. I remember, you know, Bobby Clark came in when I was, uh, I had a, a, a little tear in my medial collateral ligament. I, I did that in practice in the Ranger series and I could hardly, I, I couldn't skate. I tried and I was in the whirlpool for game four one night and Clarkie came in and talked to me and said, uh, how's your knee? And our trainer told me just to come in and get in the, uh, the jacuzzi to try to, I, I couldn't even bend it to 90 degrees. Um, so I'm in the, in the whirlpool and Clarkie came in and said, how's your knee? I said, not very good. And he said, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. He said, I don't think we can win the Stanley Cup without you. Hmm. And I went, wow. What? Powerful. He said, look, he said, Barry Ashby had lost his eye. Gary Dornhofer had a completely separated shoulder. The Hound had a bad knee, Bob Kelly. And I was out of the lineup. And he said, look, the guys that we've got called up from the minors can't do what you can do. Even if you could just kill penalties, we really need you. He said, I don't want you to do anything to hurt your knee, but just understand when you're ready to come back, we're really ready to have you back. Wow. And he left. And you know, over the years, people have said, boy, you talk about peer pressure. <laughs> I said, I didn't feel peer pressure. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't uh, give me a, an ultimatum. What he did is made me feel that I was vital to the outcome. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the, what anybody wants in life. You want to feel that you're important to the cause. Yeah, of course. So I got out of the whirlpool and, and uh, dried myself off and hopped up on the table and I said to our trainer, Frank Lewis, I said, shave my leg and spray me and tape it as best you can. I'm going to take the warm up. So I took the warm up and I, I, I felt like I looked like a guy that had two neon signs on his body, <laughs> one on my back that said one legged man because I was kind of hobbling around. And then one on my knee that was flashing on and off with arrows saying, hit him here. Hit him here, <laughs> yeah, right right. here. And I finished the warm up and I went up and as I'm coming into the dressing room, Frank, our trainer standing at the door and said, well, can you play? And my brain immediately screamed, not a chance. And my lips went, yeah. <laughs> so I played and I just killed penalties and we won. Um, we went up to Boston for game five and we lost five to one and it could have been nine to one. I was, I, I got our only goal. It was just a tap in. It was sitting on the goal line. I it was shorty shorthanded goal. And I just popped it in. And then we came back and, and won game six. And I played a lot more yeah. in game six. And I actually had a teammate tell me a few years ago, I said, you know, I watched that tape again at game six. And, and I think you were the best player on the ice in that wow. game. And I've said, I've, I've told audiences this story often and I always let them know how well I played has nothing to do with this story. The story is about the fact that without being made to feel that I was vital to the outcome, I don't even think I would have been in the game. That's right. Right. But yeah. he made me feel so vital. I said, I got to do no matter how painful it is, 
no matter what, what, it, what I feel like, I've got to try this. I got to get it going. But yeah. you see the first three games, the first part of the Boston series, I was in a cast. That's what they did for torn ligaments back then. Okay. And I had to be in the cast for another two to three weeks. But I got back after those two games in Boston. I went right to Abington Hospital, said to our doctor, get me out of the cast. I, want, I might never get a chance to play in the Stanley Cup finals again. I want to see if I can do it. So we cut the cast off and I hopped down off the, off the table and almost fell flat on my face. It was like wow. somebody put an electric charge up my heel and went right through my knee and up into my, my head. And I had to borrow crutches. So, so this is three days later, I, I played wow. because I couldn't even walk that day. Uh, but it was, it's not a testament to pain thresholds or anything like that. It's about what can be accomplished when somebody helps you feel that you're vital to the outcome. Yeah. And Bobby Clark was that guy. That's and believe me, we had a lot of guys that conform. Clark had to tough one-on-ones with guys. You know, there were guys that were, were lazy. Well, game five, that game where we lost five to one, where it could have been eight to one. Our most talented player was Ricky McLeish. Passed away yeah. way too young a couple yeah. of years ago. But Ricky would go through the motions sometime. There was no sense of urgency. So we're in Boston with a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And Ricky is kind of, you know, he's just sort of going, he's just, he's just sort of cruising around out there. And Clark, he was sitting beside me and he's, he was chewing, you know, ice and everything. He's like, son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. So Ricky gets off the ice, sits on this side of me. Clarky's on this side of me. And Clarky waited for him to catch his breath. And he leaned over. And he said, Ricky, I sure as fuck hope you're saving it for Thursday night, you cocksucker. Oh, fuck. And I'm sitting there going, whoa. <laughs> Not another word was said. And Rick McLeish was our best player. Not me in game six. He was wow. everywhere. So Bobby wow. knew how to have the tough conversation. He knew when to deliver it in a gentle way which was the way to reach me. I yeah. think he knew yeah. how to, you know, jack somebody by the collar, you know, and, and really hit him right here with what he wanted to, the message that he wanted to give. Yeah. And uh, it all worked. I, 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 I've, I've told many people that I don't, I can't imagine a leader in any, any other sport being better than Bobby Clark. The one guy that I keep seeing over and over and over again, and it's hard to discount is Tom Brady. Right. Right. Yeah. As a quarterback. I mean, he's not yeah. afraid to call people out. You see him on the sideline, stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Bobby Clark was the heart. He was, I mean, I think everybody was like, if I might've been this finger. Somebody else might've been a thumb. Somebody else right. might've been the lungs, you know, but if you want to designate a body part, yeah. Bobby Clark was the heartbeat of our team. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. There's not too many uh, leaders that I've played with that, uh, that are, are that impactful as leaders. Like, you know, yeah, you have, they, they call, they call out guys now and then, but every story I hear about Bobby Clark was kind of exactly how you described them was like the epitome of a leader. Like you just, there's no one yep. in the same league almost, but I mean, no, there, there certainly wasn't in my career. I never saw anybody else like him either. I didn't. I'll tell you who was great, though, for a young leader uh, and is great with our Flyers alumni organization is Brad Marsh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Boy, he was a what a solid, solid human being yeah. that led by example. And he just he, he's 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 a, I think of greatness in the game of life 
That's what Brad is. And I play, a lot of people think that we became really good friends playing for the Flyers. I never played one game with him as a, as a Flyer. I played four years as a Flame oh, yeah. uh, okay. with him. And we became pretty close then because he was uh, such, a, such a wonderful guy. Yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah. yeah he's done some amazing things with the uh, alumni as well as the, the Warriors uh, disabled veteran hockey team. And I, I, I'm in contact with Brad quite often. And, yeah, he's, uh, you, you can see you can see – what you're talking about because he he wears his heart on his sleeve and he he's a selfless selfless human it's beautiful yeah i always think that in in broad strokes it's possible very often to put people in one of two categories either they're a giver or a taker fortunately most people are givers in varying degrees uh but Brad is way up on the spectrum of givers of somebody that will give to other people and to humanity just to help people. Right. Yeah. So much to give back. You know, the guys, I, all of the guys in the different sports that make a lot of money, I'm really happy for them. And I hope they, they hope they make as much money as they can, but I, I really have a hard time with athletes that seem to have forgotten where they came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see that, you know, too. It's a so, shame. Brad didn't. Yeah, there's a lot of entitlement these days, and I kind of actually wanted to build off what you were talking about, like that old school philosophy of grunt work and the hard conversations to this this, this new school era we're living in. Or not, maybe there's not that there's not those conversations, but I just feel like the culture has changed so much. Maybe maybe some for the good, um, but I feel like to your last point there is just like it's almost like like the, the, a lot of these younger guys are in, there's a, a sense of entitlement i don't feel like that ever was a case back in the day like when you go to training camp it was like you earned every inch you got you know yeah and now it's like oh you're drafted oh well I, I i should make the team in training camp you know and, and then oh i didn't get called up and then you're gonna hang your lip around the minor league you know for for you know a month or two um but talk about like what, what you see um you know obviously it's a almost polar opposites from broad street bullies to the, the current day. But I mean, what, what your, you know, your, what's your perspective on the current game? Uh, I, I still love the current game, uh, but yeah, then times are changing. Right. And that sense of entitlement has ruined more than one athlete's career. Yep. Because they don't pass the smell test. You know, I mean, you, you people's, when I got called up from the flyer from the minors, and I was really lucky. I got called up once and never got sent back down. So I didn't have to up, down, up, down, up, down. But I was sitting there after a game, and we had just called up. And I'm not going to mention the guy's name because I love him, and, uh, and I always will. Um, we were sitting there having drinks, and he was a scratch that game. And he just went on a rant. I'm sitting there with our four or five of us, right? I don't know. Like, I'm mean, bullshit. You know, I'm not coming up here to sit around and watch. You know, I need, I need to be in the lineup and watch. And I could look at the, I looked at the expressions on the other guys' faces and they were uncomfortable, right? And I remember saying to myself, if I'm ever in that position, I'm never going to complain to anybody. I'm just going to work harder. Right. Well, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because I started to get sat out one the next season. I played 39 and sat out 39 and Freddie Shiro wouldn't tell me before the game or even the morning of the game, if I was playing or not, I'd find out after the warm up, hmm. And that happened to me like 75 times <laughs> in, in a season. 
and I never complained. And I know that I, I, I gained the respect of a lot of players because of that. So a player that has that sense of entitlement, if he is not helped in a transition through a correction, right, of behavior and attitude and all of those things, you'll never hear from him again. They're right. just going to dr- drift away. And that's why it's so important. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning, look at the players they've developed, yeah. right? Yeah. And it starts with, with counseling, starts with a very communicative coaching staff in the minors and explaining things to them, you know, in very specific terms, helping them when they're down. They're young, right? It's hard to be 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Now, I have a son that's 31, he went through a rough patch, uh, you know, in his early 20s. And I was talking to a psychologist one day and she said, uh, she said, you know, adolescence is at a later age than it was when you were younger. And I said, yeah, when I was younger, it was like 17, 18, 19. Now it's like 21, 22, 23. She said, try 31, 32, 33. Wow. So for, for these young athletes, that's why it's so important if they have one of those, that, any kind of correction that's required in their attitude they need help and that's why an organization from top to bottom has to be so well thought out so communicative they have to be a parent a discipline a disciplinarian sometimes you have to be a nurturer right sometimes it's uh there's a lot to it today a lot to it because the pressures on the athletes are greater today yeah i really believe that because there's so much money at stake Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much competition and everyone, everyone is, you know, I say a high end player now, you know, there's yeah. so, so many, so, so many moving parts there. I and mean, when I was coaching the Phantoms there, I think I spent most of my time not coaching hockey, but it was sitting there just being an ear to these guys. You know what I mean? It was like talking yeah. these guys off the edge, you know, when so-and-so gets called up, they didn't get called <laughs> up. Well, I'm better than him. I'm a higher pick than him and all these different scenarios, but yeah. You know, it's it's that, interesting the psychology, you know, and you just got to like bring them back down to earth a little bit and say, listen, like, you know, like you just got to be better, you know, but the reason why yeah. you get called up because he's been, he's been the best player in the last two weeks or whatever, you know, and. Riles, you know what I used to tell players and, and that has not changed what you're talking about. I used to tell players that would get really down and like in the minors and say, look, any kind of negative vibe that you're going to self-create is, is not going to get you where you want to go. And I said, if you're good enough, if it doesn't happen in this organization, it will happen in another organization. But you have to be good enough. And you can't allow yourself to have those thoughts, you know, want them and think, well, I'm, you know, he doesn't deserve to be there. And then all of a sudden you're in this, this sea of wallowing negativity, right? right where it's not going to yeah. happen. And I would also tell guys when they sign a contract, you know, I got a three-year deal at whatever, 30 grand a year, my first year, I was a Flyers top pick. I was a second round pick, but they traded away their first round pick. I had a two-way contract, 9,500 for the minors and 12,500 if I got called up to the NHL. And the, and the World Hockey Association came along. And when, when the WHA came along, the salary started to incrementally take bigger jumps. But when a guy would sign a contract, I'd say, can I make a suggestion? They'd say, yeah, what? I'd say, write the date, take a piece of paper, write the date. And write your emotions right now about how happy you are in this contract and put it in an envelope and tuck it away in a desk drawer. And if you're ever unhappy about your contract, get it out and read it. And remember, nobody forced you to sign this. Mm, yeah. Great advice. True. Right? hundred percent. Yeah, Cause don't, don't, don't allow yourself to fall into that trap. 
Yeah, it's, it's easy to it's do. It's funny. It's funny. Riles, Riles can tell you, and I know you know this, Billy, but my mornings, all these years, Riles can tell you how many how many guys are sitting in my office, and a lot of times it's guys coming in, closing my door just to to have someone to talk to, you know, just to, and I just like, listen, I'm like, I actually got to sharpen some skates. I, <laughs> I, maybe I might put Dr. Nasty. Oh my, yeah, you're the shrink. Oh my, yeah. thing. And of course I never mind uh, doing that. Like it, it's, it's part of it as a, as being part of the staff, I think, yeah. no, I may not have answers, but you're right. Like guys, you know, sometimes they just need an ear or yeah. if, if they're going the wrong way, I would, it's different for me. I wasn't a coach. I was their friend and their equipment guy. So I, you know, try to pull them back without saying you're totally wrong, you know, yeah, but, uh, sure. but you see it a lot. You see it, you know, see it. A lot, yeah. So. I ne- I've never thought of it that way, but, that, but in your role, it's, it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. You can be a sounding board. You can be an ear for somebody, but you have to show loyalty to all of the other players too. Right. So you can't take a side and say, that's right. That guy is an ass. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. say, look, you, all I would tell guys that would, would end up with on a rant was we need each other. Yeah. That's we true. need each other. And it's not up to us to make the decisions about who plays and who doesn't play. When I, when I got traded to Atlanta, there was a guy named Claude Saint-Savard that was a good offensive player. And as soon as I got there, I became the center on the number two power play unit. I took a lot of his ice time away. And I remember after I was there a couple of weeks, I said to Eric Vale, I said, boy, Saint's really quiet. He said, no, he's not quiet. I said, what do you mean? He said, you just can't stand your guts. <laughs> really? He said, why? He said, because you, you came and took his ice time. Oh, and I said, okay, thanks. So that day of practice, I skated up to him. I said, do you have 20 minutes after the practice to stop at the, at the, at the pub and have a beer with me? He said, okay. So I went there and he, he was, you know, puffing up. Right. I said, look, I said, I understand that you're disappointed that your ice time has been taken away. I said, I never asked to get that. I never asked for your ice time. I never asked to be traded here. I just wanted to come here and try and help any way the coach wanted me to help. I said, I don't make the decisions. The coaching staff does. And if you have a problem with your ice time, I don't have a problem with you going to the coach and voicing that, you know, that problem, but we need each other. We're still putting on the same Jersey every day and we got to go out and, you know, play on the same team. So I, I I saw if I can help you anyway, I will, but you know, basically the message was don't kill a messenger. Yeah. Right. I didn't, I'm not doing this intentionally. (laughs) <laughs> and it worked out great. We, we all of a sudden he was a different guy after I had that conversation with him. Yeah. It's amazing how a little communication can go so far and, you know, but, yeah. but, but yeah. you know, he, he's harboring some ne- negative emotions and just having that conversation, give him a little clarity on how to express it. Cause I think you mentioned earlier, like the, the, it's emotional intelligence. You know, these young guys are immature a lot of the time. They don't know exactly know how to, express themselves and usually lands up being a simple conversation but that simple conversation is not that easy to have sometimes right so you hold it against the wrong person and you're not moving you're not moving forward you're in fact you're probably creating more friction than you you ever needed to in the first place but yeah i i I talked to well you know i had my own radio show in the philly market for for years i mean once uh once a week and i had huffer on carrie huffman who you work with and you know really well and i said what's that 
what's the hardest thing, you know, what's your greatest challenge as a coach in the minor leagues? And he said, communication. I said, like getting the players to communicate with you. He said, getting them to communicate with one another. They sit on one side of the locker room and they'll text each other on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Verbal communication. Crazy world. Like, and it, it, it translates onto the ice too, right? I yeah. used to, I hated playing with guys that wouldn't open their mouths on the ice. Mm-hmm. God, it was hard. An extra set of eyes was so helpful. Yeah. Right. Sure. Oh, because my set of eyes didn't see a lot of the things that were going on out there. <laughs> you, you know, people both. say, what's it like playing in an NHL game? I said, well, to some guys, they can see everything. You know, to, to me, very often, it's just a blur of colors. Going yeah. like this. <laughs> I was yeah. like me. I was like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Certainly helpful. Having, uh, having, yeah. having a little communication, right? It's it's. It's yeah. the old oldest skill you know, for for any sort of business or team to advance is the communication. But yeah, I think I think that's a big big thing. Even even more than probably when you talk to Huff is that is that we're so digital. You know, even these guys leave the rink and they're you know probably sitting in the same household and they're playing video games against each other. And you know what I mean? And it's like there's no yeah. there's no like eye to eye and and you know having yeah. those hard conversations are are are, are you know non-existent almost right so it's just it's easier to just harbor that energy and not talk to your teammate or you know hold it against yeah. them and you know it's and then it, it obviously turns into cancer after that i've seen it i've seen it in my coaching days too but uh yeah the power of it's, we're just a hot the sport of hockey is just a microcosm of our culture right, right. i mean it's true yeah. it's where we are yeah. so the the, the the sports people the athletic organizations that understand how to break down some of those barriers and get the players to communicate and get the players to understand what they're trying to tell them. They're, they're way ahead of the game. You know, if you don't have rules about when the phones have to turn off. Right. right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. What, what, what do most teams do? Well, when I was, uh, you know, year, I've been gone about a year. <clears throat> the, the phones, it was funny. The phones were off around five, I think, but some guys use their phones for music, but, you could tell no one was texting, you know, they had their music on. Obviously there's music going in the room, but everyone doesn't always agree uh, with the music. So some guys do their own thing, but the phones went away. We never like put them in anything. Um, There was talk of it uh, because I know some teams did. They had a phone bag. Like they had a bag made. Yeah. There's a few teams that had that. And uh, so I, I said, the guys were having a conversation about the phones. We got to get off the phones. Uh, at this time, the TVs need to go off because, you know, Sundays, if we played on a Sunday, you know, the NFL is on the TV yep. and yeah. uh, Saturday could be whatever. It could be basketball, football, but or TVs, golf or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah. Golf was a huge, yeah. Golf sure. was a big one. Yeah. Um, so the TVs went off at a certain time and, and, and the phones were put away unless they were listening to music. So um, I think with the flyer, with the, with the guys that are now, they did a pretty good job with that. But I do know some teams were actually literally, they had a, bag that they hung up and every guy had a number and they put their phone in it until they couldn't get it till after the game so wow that's a great idea i guess the honor system didn't work so well (laughs) yeah Yeah, right no think about distractions i mean i I remember working with terry murray and all i can think of when i hear think of terry murray is like focus focus lack of concentration focus it's like i mean that's like the only thing he said but it's so true you know it's like you have all these distractions How, how can you focus when you know, when you when you're when you're when you're not 
practicing concentration by just being totally distracted by well digital devices and whatever else but you know it's, uh, a, it's a I'm not I'm not surprised uh, Terry Murray was my roommate my first year in Ottawa in the OHA oh, he was, we, eh? we, oh we, wow. really we got drafted the same year we were in the same draft and I'm not surprised that he used few words because I roomed with him for a year and I think he said four words the whole year <laughs> focus and concentration <laughs> <Come on. laughs> I knew uh, at least funny. at least knew what he was doing. He was focusing and concentrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Beautiful. Right on, Billy. Well, I think uh, that pretty much wraps up this uh, this episode, man. I really appreciate you. you yeah, know, we held you a little and, long yeah. there, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. Riles, you always held me, man. When I was, uh, you know, I had my radio show. I think I must have had you on. I don't know, eight times. Yeah, ten times, like once, once a year. Talking about the skills. All the talking old, about yeah, the, the yeah talking about the skills. Yeah, well, some crab, crab fries, well, and whatever else you had. We yeah. we shared we shared our stories on skill, and that ate up the first two minutes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and hey. then we had to we had to get real creative after that. Billy, yeah. you should see him. And he's a, he's he's joined our men's league team uh, here, and he's a skilled player in this men's league. I'm telling you what. Yeah. Boys, boys love playing with him yeah yeah he joined us and uh well he's missed a few games he's a busy man and plus if it's past our games past seven billy he's in bed because he i don't know if you know that about riley he's in bed early because he's up oh, doing yeah. yoga early morning so i i will not <laughs> I, I i think I, I i read from the same bible so i will not hold that against him yeah i'm an, I'm an early to bed early riser myself yeah, I, yeah, the problem with me is I'm a late to bed but an early riser. Oh, It'll, it's yeah, gonna yeah. catch me. It's yeah, gonna catch me Z's. soon. I think, yeah, I do yeah. need some Z's. Yeah. Oh man, but we really do appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and joining us. It's awesome. It's yeah, man, awesome. it's been great. We really do. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. And I'm not anybody that sees this. I'm not gonna tell them that I was your 33rd choice for that. This is your 33rd show. Number one in our heart. Yep. <laughs> See, we were team. No mistake. No mistake. Yeah. No mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Beautiful. Appreciate it. That episode was brought to you by Settlemeyer Skate Sharpening. For all your hockey needs and the best sharpening in town, visit SettlemeyerSkateSharpening.com or visit Nasty. And he's got the steel, as is Howie. Howie's, Howie's got the steel, and he's let me use it. So oh, we got it, man. It's going, it's blowing out the door too. And I'm not kidding. It's, it's, uh, guys are getting a hold of it. So it's awesome. It's really, really good. Beauty. I and wish, I wish I could take the credit for the steel. I just have it. You just got it. Howie's the you guy. got the goods and bodycheckwellness.com for your CBD and functional mushroom needs. Check it out at bodycheckwellness.com. And a big thank you to Mr. Bill Clement for carving out the yes. time and sitting down with us and, and sharing some stories. What a, <laughs> what an interesting dude. Eh? He's, just man, a, I tell you, he's done out. it all. He's, he's done, done it all, all, man. He's done it all. Like I, I never knew he literally was trying to be an actor. Well, I mean, I guess he was. An yeah, actor. he was. Yeah. Yeah. Most I had part. no idea either. I mean, gosh, he, that, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty wild, man. But, uh, I, my favorite, one of my favorite things was him talking about Clarky and the, and just being, which I think we all kind of knew, but to hear stories 
about him, you know, getting after Hawk, you know, uh, McLeish um, during the finals and, and coming up to Billy and, and, and basically persuading him without giving him an ultimatum. Yeah, right. Making him feel like such a part of the team, which is what good people, good leaders do. He ends up playing and they end up winning, which yeah. is, I thought that was super, super cool. Yeah, that's incredible. That. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, everyone kind of knew about Clarkie's leadership to hear it firsthand from a good guy that played with him for, for several years and and share those types of stories. It's, it's pretty powerful stuff. There's no question that there's a reason why he's, you know, goes down as one of the ultimate leaders in hockey. So. Yeah, and there's some other really sure. funny stories. He's got some incredible stories, you know, <laughs> playing stories, but also like post-playing, you know, with the right, some right. Of the ads and the uh, and the, uh, the, the the repellent and the beer and all this other stuff that he had going on. So he's lived like, quite a unique life, you know, from he sure has actually going bankrupt and losing everything after he'd played oh. the NHL to to rebuilding his brand and finding his niche was you know acting was seemed to be like a stepping stone. The speaking. Oh, and he has, owns like a a speaking speaker series type of uh, uh, business as well as his broadcasting business uh, throughout how many years and how many different networks. So pretty, pretty amazing guy. Yeah, he really is. He really is. It's, it's impressive to, you hear all that. You hear a lot of, uh, unfortunately you hear about guys that, and you know, they weren't making the money the guys are now, but it was also, they were making decent money because money was different then. Yeah, but to to lose it, you know, go in right away. You retire. You've you saved up money, throw it into a venture, and poof. Yeah, Houdini, poof, it's gone. To grab yourself and you know turn it back around. So it's pretty amazing. But you can tell he's a very very sharp individual. So um, he is. And I really like Billy. Me. He's uh, he, he's been good to me over the years. I've been on several of his yeah. shows and. He's always got a positive attitude and, you know, he's always yeah. engaged. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it was nice to connect with him on this level and and be the interviewer, if you want to call it that, and, you know, right, kind of right. stories out of him. Uh, but, yeah, he's yeah, he, a he, solid dude. He, he, was, he is a solid dude. He, uh, I always liked when he would, uh, you know, travel, come with the team. Uh, Jonesy was stuck at NBC, you know, mm-hmm. the national broadcast. Billy would always be with us and. I used to love, uh, you know, headed to the airport, sometimes sitting back there with him and kind of picking his brain, uh, which I would do with Jonesy too, just about hockey because I'm kind of a hockey nerd. But it's nice to hear guys, you know, and you know, because you play it, I ask you stuff too, but it's nice to get their take on it because they see so much hockey because they have to. They have to know about the next team the Flyers are playing, you know, what's going on over here because like, you know, that stuff comes up when they're on their shows and, and stuff like that. It's just nice to pick his brain with hockey, you know, uh, a lot when he was, when he was with the team and I was with the team. So really good, man. Always good to me as well. My dad, even, uh, when Billy was with the team doing broadcasting, he's like, he, him and uh, doc Emmerich would always take him and Kurt and Turk out to dinners, like all the time. He's like, they were just, the, the you know, just super guys, man. Yeah. No doubt. What an incredible memory too. For seven, you know, seven years old. I don't, yeah. don't want to underplay the age here, but like, but right. like to, to to talk about his stories, it's kind of like you. Like you could re- just tell the story with like absolute detail, like it was <laughs> yesterday. It's hard. It's, it's hard to believe. 
Um, he but he doesn't look seventy. He's he in great really shape and he's so sharp. So you sharp. know, I probably I probably will not see seventy. <laughs> Just by the way I live, no, I'm kidding, but he is, I hope I'm that sharp. If I, if I make it that long, I, I hope, uh, he looks great. I hope I make it that long and I hope I'm as sharp as he is because he's, he, like you said, man, he listen to him talk, man. You can just, just listen to him. Like he's just got so, so many stories and awesome guy to, to, to get the chit chat with. So we are fortunate to have him. That is the truth. We only got 40 more years Nast. To seventy, so you're right. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> you're getting there. Hey, Elvis, Elvis, the other day, I don't know if you said it, but someone said my age, and he gets devastated. He loses. He he does not. He cries. He cries. Yeah. He he it's, literally gets upset, and I'm like, buddy, don't worry, man. It's a number, bro. And he's like, but you're not that old. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever, whatever you want me to be is what I, what I am. That's what I was saying. Right. You're 35. That's what he always said. You're 35. I said, okay, go with it. That's it. <laughs> you're the anti-aging I machine. I don't, I, I don't know why it bothers him so much, but yeah, boy, yeah, you'll get over it in the next year. But, but forget about pay, it. Pay, Peyton and Bryce are always like, LB daddy's not 35. And he's like, he wants to fight boy. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I don't know why, but anyway, Billy looks great. Yep. And um he he was awesome, man. He was awesome guest. So. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, that wraps up episode 33 with Mr. Bill. Your Clement. first number. Your first My number first number. Fun. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well, cool, man, that's a little trivia. Donate it back to Bush 33. <laughs> yeah. That's him, right. Sign him the following right. year. But um be sure to tune in next week for episode 34. Until then, stay safe. Be sure to have some fun. See you, knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 